KBLA Talk 1580. Boy, the conversation in here. It's it's Friday, okay? It's Friday, and we're doing this doggone thing, and I'm so excited. I love it when my next guest uh, comes around. We don't see her all the time, but when we do, it is a treat and literally a joy. Um, I You heard me because I promoted it. Uh, we are so, so honored to have... Um, a woman with a master's degree in social work, a master's degree in clinical psychology, a PhD in social work. You know her. She's an author. She's an activist. She's an innovator. And her research is focused on the intersection of racism, trauma, violence, and American chattel slavery. Uh, the author of the groundbreaking book, Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome America's Legacy of Enduring Injury and healing dr joy degrew good morning good morning she's live and in person by the way it's great to see you it is good to be here and let me i i'm, I'm on this today uh dr degrew because i feel like I, i'm always waiting to the last minute to say what the person is doing and we're rushing it in before we run out of time you are in town for a reason i am uh my private nonprofit, be the healing inc uh is putting on a symposium tomorrow and it is uh, strengthening our bonds, overcoming adversity through family and community building. I mean, that's the kind of overall theme of it. It's happening at Crozier Middle School Auditorium, 120 West Regent Street in Inglewood. So um, this effort, I don't think anybody is confused about how intense things are happening across the country, particularly in urban areas and particularly with people of African descent. The um, amounts of violence that's happening, the uh, homelessness, the poverty, the, you know, there there are all the different layers that are intersecting at a time when the country itself is extraordinarily polarized. And we have to be intentional. We have always been intentional as a people. We have always been able to uh, rise above whatever adversities are happening for us. But I think right now is a time to really try to rebuild community through families. And that's the focus of this, this symposium. And to give people tools to say, okay, what does this look like? So one is understanding the nature of how we got here. And also understanding the trajectory for our children, our youth, and our families to move forward up beyond and past it. You know, we always hear about, I mean, there's there's helpful stuff and there's tropes and there's a lot of things about <laughs> the black family. Exactly. And when you talk about rebuilding community through family um, as an antidote to all these bigger things that seem to be so overwhelming, you know, w what does that look like? Where do we start? You know, one of the one of the things that I immediately look at is composition. Who are, who are we looking at right now? You know, I'm from a whole nother generation. I have ch children. I have grandchildren. Baby on the way in next week. <laughs> uh, my grand, my, my congrats, grandchild. Congrats, congrats. Yes. Um, and I think what's what's happened when we say rebuilding community, our our community has gone through a process, What what is termed serial forced displacement. Mm. And serial forced displacement, of course, began, first of all, with enslavement. You know, we were extremely displaced, having been taken from Africa, folks that were here, then families divided. Then after that, we had Jim Crow. And actually, uh, during Jim Crow, we began to flourish. 
because we had our own sense of community. We, everyone knows about um, what happened, you know, the, the cities that were burned to the ground, Greenwood, you know, all of these different things that occurred. So we were able to, to, to kind of recalibrate and build. But when we've built, built there's been other structures that have come in, uh, redlining, right? Then we had uh, urban renewal. And then we had, oh, we're going to cure urban blight. And they were just basically rolling over black communities and building and moving and moving. And now we have gentrification. These are all names for displacement. I mean, serial forced displacement. And what happens? The research is in, in terms of what happens to a people that you consistently uproot and displace. The response is interpersonal and structural violence. That mm. is the residual impact of that. So you break my leg and then you complain that I limp. That's exactly what continues to happen. Now, in no way are we folks that are, you know, somehow crouched in the corner, worried, destroyed. No, we're not. But we have to be intentional because we haven't been written in to the script. People often say to me, Dr. DeGruy, what can we do? How do we fix the, you know, the criminal justice system? It's not broken. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it achieves. It's designed this way. It's never, doing what it's meant it's to do. It's doing what it was meant to, to, to do. You know, it came out of, of slave patrol, so we shouldn't be surprised. But the issue is we tend to look at the usual suspects. Well, yeah, the police, George Floyd, as if, you know, somehow the folks that are virulent white supremacists are all police. They're teachers, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're post work, postal workers. They're, in other words, we have no idea, you know, if the person, for example, educating your child goes to Klan meetings on Wednesdays, you mm. know. So, so the point is, is that when we start looking at systemically what has happened, we can't do anything about the past, but we can do something intentionally about where we are. So when I say families, okay, let's just take that concept. Yeah, let's start there. Family. I, you know, I remember working um, in Portland, Oregon for an organization, pri private nonprofit organization. And, you know, again, we're always looking for the funds to try to help you know, support us. It's, it's a begging thing. Everybody's looking around for the funders. And we had to meet with the city council. I'll never forget this. I was actually happened to be in the city. The program that I was working with, uh, they were there, you know, we're trying to re-up the money that's going to come down from the city or city council and, you know, county stuff. So, first of all, the, everybody's on the dais, right? So, they're all mm -hmm. sitting in the half curve, and we're below at the little mic, giving our little three minutes or whatever it is. So, I'm feeling some kind of way in the first place. But I understand my role. <laughs> my role is to come in and be a clo closer, right? And so, the young woman who was the manager of the program, she had all the charts. She had the, you know, PowerPoint. This is how many families we serve. This is how many, you know, this is how many got through the program and matriculated. And all of this is to say, give us the money. Okay. At the end of the day, <laughs> are you going to give us the money? So, then it was like, uh, she finished that very neatly. And, of course, it's kind of passing me the mic. So, one of the uh, city council members leaned forward and said, Dr. DeGruy, how do you feel the families are doing in the program? Right? And there's this pregnant pause. So the manager's looking at me like, What are you what are you what are you doing? <laughs> you know, because I'm kind of, 
I'm trying at that moment to determine whether I'm going to speak truth. Ah, yeah. And because we this is this is all about let's close this deal and kind of go on. And I looked at this woman. And I said, I'm willing to bet you my life that when you say family and I say family, we're not talking about the same thing. Mm. So at that point, you know, the old folks would say, my mom would say, you know, you could hear a mouse pee on cotton. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there there was silence. The manager of the program is looking at me like, what are you doing? Where are we going? I said, let me give you a kind of a sense. I said, there's a young, the program I'm working with is was working with adjudicated youth. And the goal of this program was to to, to redirect these youth so that they don't end up in the adult system. So they're all juveniles that have committed some crime, you know, shoplift, whatever it was. And they got into this program so that we could change the trajectory. And what I said when I wrote the model for this program is if you want us to help these children, we've got to help everyone in the family, period, right? So now the money's going to the family. I said, so this young man came into the program because he violated a restraining order. He's 18-year-old black male. So I don't know what picture you get in your mind of him, but that's what got him on paper and why he was in the program. He lives for the first four days of the week with his siblings, his younger siblings, in the cold house because his mother leaves and goes to her boyfriend's apartment where she remains warm. He Got to the point where there was no food left. There, there's no, obviously no heat in the house. So he goes to the boyfriend's house to try to reach his mother so that he could help his siblings. And that is how he violated his restraining order. Because the boyfriend didn't like him coming to his house. I said, is that the picture you had when you said family? Well, they gave us the money. <laughs> but the point is that... Wow. That we, while we're not paying attention, folks are trying to survive, right? Or the young woman that I mentored and I promised her, I said, if you graduate, this girl had just torn through so many different programs. She said, Miss Joy, if I graduate, will you come to my graduation? I said, of course. You know, I will definitely. I won't care where you are. I'm coming. Well, she was in Brooklyn, New York, and she, I got a call that she was graduating. So I got on a plane. And I flew to New York. Wow. It was a small um, alternative program, but they all were very excited, had their cap and gowns on. And so I met, I watched, she saw me there. She was just totally blown away because I told her, I said, if you graduate, I'm showing up. So she grabs what looks like her sister. I mean, by the arm and that was it was actually her her mother and she said hey this is her this is miss joy this is my mom this is this is my mom right so i'm going i'm feeling a little well i'm going well she didn't mean mom what that was (laughs) because this is her mother she's introducing me to her mother saying this is a woman i called mom and i was trying to be respectful of her mother and say yeah well that's just you know you know it's a Term of endearment. Term of endearment. Right. Yeah, it's not, you know. And the mother is so excited. She goes, oh, my God, I've heard so much about you. Would you be my mom, too? Wow. That's what she said to me. Wow. Would you be my mom, too? And so she needed. Mothering. Mothering herself. So we have generations. And with the introduction to crack, you know, you could read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. You know that it devastated our community. So we have a couple of generations of folks. 
that weren't parented. There was no mature adult there. And in the case with that young man that was 18, if I was going to find the mature adult, it wouldn't be his mother. It would be him. Mm. Talking with Dr. Joy DeGruy, if you have questions or commentary, you're, you're invited in 800-920-1580. You know I have many of them. It's a great place to start, and she's in town. You can be part of that. We'll let you know how. It's KVLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. We're st- the conversation continues right now, right now, right now with now, Dominique now. DePrima on First Things First. Uh, it's my joy, my pleasure to have with me in studio, Dr. Joy DeGruy. If you're if you're on um, <laughs> you're on YouTube right now, and you're going, who's the other person? <laughs> that that's uh, Dr. DeGruy's sister. Hi, she's not uh, she's not on the mic, but she's uh, in she's in here for. Uh, moral support for all of us. Dr. DeGruy, we, we started out talking about, you're going to be at Crozier mm-hmm. um, at uh, Inglewood. Right. Crozier Middle School um, for a symposium. Correct. And tell us, if, if people want to go to that or participate, this is through your nonprofit. How can Absolutely. they connect with that? There actually are a few spots left because there are tables that have been um, purchased. People have purchased tables. But ah. the, if there are individuals that would like to come, we still have some spots available. And I, these are free spots. So it, it'll be fewer left. Uh, at some of the tables but I mean again the goal here uh, and the the goal is to really have a conversation with community because here's here's what happens in most search circumstances you'll get a me right the 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 person that comes in I write I write evidence-based models I do the work I've been on the ground but we want to help and a lot of people say I really want to help and I'm going well what does that look like well, that means whoever the people are that you're wanting to help have to be the co-creators of the solution. This is not something mm-hmm. you come, you have a model, and you plop it down over here because it, it, it worked in, you know, uh, Seattle. It has to be one where you look at the local context. What are people saying and and what are they wanting, right? So I have a, uh, a group of of tools, uh, groupings of tools that I can share, but we also have to look at the context for where people are in order for them to participate in, quote, the healing, which is what the work is all about. Uh, It's not just to heal, but to be healthy and to make certain the generation that's coming after us will also be healthy because that's what we have to do. We cannot move forward without without really seeing a future for uh, the young ones that we're passing the baton to. Right. So it's not a one size fits all. It's, exactly. It has to be customized to the community and their there conditions. You there you go. Um, when you, well, you started out this morning talking about how we are in a tough time. And, and I feel like probably every generation says that, but but it's so it's interesting to hear you say it because it makes it seem like, okay, you're not crazy. Things are kind of really extra rough Ab- right now yes absolutely um but you went from the macro to the micro and saying and you know we've heard we've all heard that saying oh the personal is political yeah but is that i mean is that what you're talking about you're talking about fixing our families or healing our our immediate circle as a means of well, it's, it's, taking on the it's, broader issues it's it's and Right. So we're, we're looking, we, we have to look at all, all the processes. And some of us are in different, you know, lanes. 
some folks are at home raising children and working. Other folks are, are working in the systems that are producing the harm. You know, so wherever we are and whatever silos we're in, we have to begin to look at what we can do in that space to advance us to be able to take care of us. I know a number of physicians that are, you know, incredible physicians because I'm in, in Georgia, right? And that are just so proactive and so uh, supportive. Looking at the, for example, uh, the infant mortality rate or the number of black women that are dying in childbirth. It's insane right now, right? And you, we have people in those arenas that are doing inf- incredible work. Uh, my daughter runs a, a private nonprofit, uh, the Black Parent Initiative, where she's dealing with black doulas that walk walk with women through the entire process. You know, so what I'm saying is it's, it's and everybody has to show up. So yes, we have to start at the nucleus, the family, we have to be well, actually with the individual to be well, to know who you are, and how you, you're moving through the world. So Every level has to be impacted. And and in my field, we are always looking at the different levels of service from the individual, the family, uh, the community, and ultimately the, the society. So it's about trying to be well in all of those spaces. And sometimes um, what is qu- required is that we, we take a deeper look, that we begin to um, answer the questions and have those conversations and hear the voices and give voice uh, to people to speak their truth, right? Um, So it's about then at the end of the day, having some practical guidelines, you know, Uh, there are folks, what do you do when you are wrongly fired? You know how often that is happening people mm-hmm. are being wrongly fired they don't know how to advocate for themselves parents who don't know how to advocate for their children in schools people that don't just in general feel the kind of support needed to grow themselves wherever they are we've got to I don't care who you are you can grow yourself where you are but you also said like when you you talking about the young man who would was with his siblings in the cold house while his mom was in the warm house you also talked about you can't help the young man if you don't help the whole family. So, and I think as people in a hyper capitalist, individualistic society, we often look at what, how do I get over? How do I fix myself? You know, and we forget that we're connected to a family system. Is that is that family systems theory? Is it <laughs> African, you know, it, it, collectivism? Uh, what what are you really talking about? It is all about? of those all of those pieces. I mean, we've all been raised very differently uh with different standards or none, right? We mm. and, and everything in between, and we have to deal with that as well. We have got to deal with the violence. We've got to deal with the violence. And the violence is happening everywhere. Right. So when you say the violence, you're talking about the family violence, community violence, the mass shootings, the war violence. I'm going to start with the family. I'm going to start with the individual, even, you know, in terms of uh, not being violent towards ourselves, you know, not allowing ourselves to believe that we can we can be and do better. You know, sometimes people are so let me give you an example. Okay, I grew up. At a time, and I remember when my kids were young, and I was broke. We were broke, right? So 
We would float checks. Checks. I don't know if people know what that is because you don't. I'm pretty sure they do. Nobody, well, writes, nobody writes checks, checks anymore, anymore, right? Right. Yeah. But, but the way it would work is you go, okay, so I get paid on Friday. This bill is due on Wednesday. Let me call my friend Renee. I said, Renee, so can you? She goes, Yeah, but my bank doesn't. My check won't hit the bank. So we figure out how I could get her check put it in my. And by the time it hit her bank. I would have the money to be able to pay her. It's, it was a whole thing, right? right. You can't do that anymore. Right. You can't float a check. And I'm looking. I went to the grocery store, and I'm not talking about Whole Foods, which is a whole check. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about your regular run-of-the-mill grocery store. And I came out with one bag, and it was $70. Yeah. Seven zero. And I stopped, and I stopped thinking uh, that I was someone unique. I'm going, everybody has to have food. Everybody has to survive. How are people surviving right now? Mm. Got news, traffic, and sports, and uh, we'll talk about that how when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. At KBLA Talk 1580, we do more than just talk. You got a big mouth. Hello, Joe, you're up. Welcome. We're unapologetically progressive, and we don't black down. Dr. Joy DeGruy is with me, and... Speaking of people who have been unapologetically outspoken, <laughs> unapologi- unapologetically uh, progressive and don't black down, well, Dr. DeGru has been out way out there leading the pack. And we were talking about, you know, how we, how we heal and how we break down. I mean, you talked about this idea of serial displacement. And when we look at racism, white supremacy, and how we can overcome these systems, uh, you know, we don't hear as much talk about that. Yeah, you hear about gentrification, but about the human psychological Absolutely. and physical sure. impact of that serial displacement. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about some kind of glue, some kind of healing that starts at the level of family, whatever that looks like for you. For you. Right? Exactly. So where do we start? You know, I... What I start seeing, and we talked about off, you know, when we were were during the break, is this whole idea that people are mentally really struggling, you know, mentally, emotionally, the stress level is up. And whenever you see the level of stress, which is caused by all the things I just talked about, there's a physical reaction to that. There's a psychological reaction to that. And it's impacting people in their lives and their ability to function. For example, if you ever been so stressed, because if you're really, really stressed, you can't think. Right. You literally cannot think. You know, I have been, you know, gotten a phone call, heard about something, standing in the middle of the floor and can't remember why I'm there because the stress has shot the cortisol level up and I and I that part of my brain is not accessible to me. There are people that are living in that state of stress, high crisis, all the time. But what happens in our community is we normalize it. I used to hear it as a child, my nerves are bad. It's just my nerves are bad. There were words for it. You know, people had a, uh, they said he had nervous breakdown. Remember people used to mm-hmm. have nervous breakdown? Mm-hmm. No such thing. But there's, but that was, mm. the, that was a catch term for everything. It was permissible to have a nervous breakdown. That's not your fault. Right. You just had a nervous breakdown. It was a catch phrase for every mental illness that a person could have. Anxiety, depression, all of it fell under a nervous, nervous breakdown. breakdown. Wow. So that because then it's acceptable. Right. Because there's no stigma if you just had a nervous breakdown. So part of what 
what I'm, I'm saying is we have to listen to people. Because in some ways, it is that, a nervous breakdown. I do get why folks said that. But what do you do with it? What do you do in your body? And one of the things that we can always do, and my daughter talks about it, and um, uh, Dr. Ruha talks about it, uh, is the whole idea of beaming light and love. Beaming light and love. You know, I have little kids who walk by me and they'll have this just this face like they're angry. And I'll just smile and go, wow, what a beautiful face. And they'll just light up. Right. Because no one lights up for them. Right. Right. I want to give you an example of how important this is to do that, to, to, to just a smile brightens the nod that we give to one another, but especially young people that are feeling the stress and the crisis of the adults around them. And unseen. Yes. Unseen and unheard. Unseen and unheard. And, you know, there was a a program that I did some work for many years ago where um, we created in this program what what was called the um, Most Improved Student Award. Right. Now, let me Mm -hmm. explain why. You know, everyone has to have a win. And in my model, I talk about creating wins for anyone, right? What if you're the kid that never gets a win? You never get on the dean's list or you don't you never get, you know, that that you go from the C to the A. So they never get rewarded. So we created in this program as a private nonprofit the most improved student award which could mean that Ronald, who kicked people six times last year, only kicked somebody once. (laughs) So he could get the most improved student award. But the key was that the kids in the class voted Mm. on who should get the most improved student award. So it was this one little boy that got the award. And he had never gotten an award in his life. So the program uh, coordinator for our program that works with this little boy was calling his mom to tell her that he was going to get the award. But the mom never picked up. The teacher said, well, I'm calling for such a school. I'm calling about your son, da, 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 da. And after the third time calling, she noticed that the little boy was very different when he came into class. He wouldn't give her eye contact, right? And she says, "How? what's wrong? What's going on? You know, I've, I was trying to call your mom to tell her about, he said, every time you call, she beat me. Wow. Because she, why is the school, why is the school calling me? I don't want the school calling me. I don't want it. So she never picked up the, when she heard She didn't the, hear the message. She never heard it because it was a school calling and it was one more thing. I'm not dealing with it. And she beat him every single time. This teacher was devastated. I mean, devastated. Of the, of all the folks in that, in that group to thought that she was causing harm when she was trying to tell her that he was going to receive the award and eventually talked to the mom, young mom. Well, you, I didn't know. So somebody should have, you know, just no ownership. Right. You see? So in order to help him, we've got to help her. And I don't know what happened. If we're looking for the villain, are you following me? Mm -hmm. If we're looking for the villain, how far back are we going to go? Right. 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 So when we unpack her life, we're going to see something else. And so what I've learned through the years of working is it's a lot of things. It's not the the cure all. It's understanding that the work that we're doing is heart work. It's not between the ears. It's heart work. And we have to love people back. 
And to think about, you know, a kid coming home from school. All right, you know, when you get in here, get over here and do this. And you and this and there. Hey, so how was school today? You know, the, 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 the person that celebrates you. And it's not intentional. It's unconscious. Right. Yeah, we, we got a lot going on. Right. We got a lot going, yeah, we got a lot going on. on. So we've got to uplift everyone. But you know what? A couple you know? things come to mind. One is this com- really convenient, popular complaint right now. Everybody gets an award. Everybody gets a certificate. We're pampering our kids too much. Right. There's that. And the other thing is, you know, that that is somehow white parenting to be like, <laughs> hi, honey. You know, I'm so happy yeah. to see you like that. That's right. what white ladies do. Right. And and again, that's part of um our socialization, that's part of post-traumatic. That's part mm-hmm. of what we've, we've passed along from generation to generation. So we have yeah. to stop. So we have to stop. I mean, right? I, I literally, this has been a while because my kid is taller than me now. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I remember being in Simply Wholesome, you know, kneeling down to talk to my kid who was having a little fit. Sure. And, and this happened to me, not in, in Ralph's and other places too. And women, black women would come up to me and be like, you know, you should just snatch them, take them out of here. And I, I would be like, number one, that's my kid. You do your kid how you want. Number two, it's going to take just as long for him to stop crying after I snatch him and yank him than is for me to sit here and talk through this thing. Exactly. You know, there was a, my daughter talks about this experience where uh, this little kid uh, was getting right across the street, saw their mom, got excited, didn't see the car. Right. And the car nearly hit this kid and the mother grabbed the kid and the kid you know, turned around, saw the car and the mother slapped him and said, don't go. So 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 my my, my daughter, you know, wasn't going to go. Wow. You know, you just smack smack the kid. She goes, imagine if you were walking across the street and you just didn't see the car. You're, what happens in your heart when you realize it nearly hit you? And then having someone slap you once you get on the other side of the street. Because the mother was frightened, but her response was to hit the child, right? And this this is kind of getting fast forward. She never had a conversation with her ever about that. She just said, well, just just think about that for a minute, how that must feel. You're already freaked out because you just almost got hit. And then when you, you look for the soothe, you get slapped. So she saw her years later. And she said, you know, I never thought about it. I thought about what my mom used to do. Right. Right. And she said, and I never did it again. So we, you never know. Again, you can't always, <clears throat> you know, you, you got to read the reality <laughs> you know, that you're dealing with. Right. Of but course. I, but of I course. think we have people are much more uh, accepting than you would imagine. And that smile, that acknowledgement, that just, gosh, you know, hey, you know, you, you, you just have a good day today. I, if somebody loves yeah, you. Somebody, somebody somewhere loves you and or, cares what I happens see to you. Yeah, I and see I see you today. Right, got I it. see you today. So you know, again, and beyond that, of course, I have an absolute model. I have absolute tools and very specific things. If they make sense for you, right? Mm-hmm. But I need to hear from you. What's going on? inside of you what's happening you know and often we don't get to the actual root cause we deal with what we see in in the on the front end 
We don't get to the root cause, you know. And I'll tell you one more, give you one more example of it, um, where there was a school, a school in Portland that my daughter was working with, my grandkids were in, and uh, the teachers were saying, you know, black parents don't care anything about their kids. They don't show up to, to the parent-teacher, you know, conferences. They don't come to back-to-school night. They don't show up, right? This is the thing. So the principal of the school, my, my daughter approached with a number of her friends and said, you know what, I'd like to do kind of an assessment of what's going on here to really kind of help. And she says, and, you know, the first thing that we're going to have to do is you're going to have to stop blaming the people that you want to come to the school that you say are not coming to the school. So we're not going to say that black parents aren't attending the school meetings. We're not going to say that. We're going to say that we're not getting the attendance of all parents. And that way you're not actually blaming the people that you're trying to help. And then she and her group of friends began to interview black parents. And so she asked the black parent, not how come you're not coming, but, you know, why do you think a parent, for example, may not show up at a back-to-school night or teacher parent? I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of time. Okay. So if you had time, you would come. Yeah, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I don't, I don't have transportation. Okay. So if you had transportation and time. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes I need child care. You know, I need child care. Okay, so if you have child care time and transportation, pause. I don't feel welcome in that school. Mm-hmm. Root cause. None of those other things were it. It was a root cause. Well, tell me about, you know, what, what that feels like. Well, you know, I, first of all, I come in and they don't know my son's name. They don't know how to say hello at the front desk. Right. These are data points. So my daughter's taking, the, and her friends are taking notes. Speak to black parents when they walk in the, in the room. Know the name of their child. And she says, and if, you know, things on the wall, I don't see the things that they do. Okay. Then the principal took it a step further. He attached, how soon are you connecting the teachers to their performance review? How, how, how early? Because you, the parent says, somebody calls me in the middle of the year and says, your son hasn't done anything all year. What can I do with that? Right? So the uh, next thing you know, when they attached it to the performance review, they were getting postcards during the summer. Come to our ice cream social. Tell me how your child needs to learn. Come look at where your seat is. All those things happen, you see? And now you have a parent that's engaged. It's become Black Parent Night. It's still going on now where the parents are coming together. They're, they're getting, um, going back to school. They're buying property. They're, they, they've taken it. They have a um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They got this. We want a, a principal that knows that. But it all started with really speaking to the parent about what the real problem. Tell me about a place where you do feel welcome. Mm. When I go to church, people yeah. say hello. See, so we, you're collecting data. Data normally isn't connected that way. Let me just do, have you fill out a form. Everybody puts, you know, from one to ten, they pick five, which is meaningless. Right, right. right. Talk to people. Mm. Hear them. What a place to start. That's what we do around here. We talk to people and you talk back. It's KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Want. Your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right Right now. now, And uh, what a way to go into your weekend with some things to think about healing ourselves, our families. Dr. Joy DeGruy is here. The organization, your nonprofit is BeTheHealing.org if people want to go and find out more, Mm -hmm. Be The Healing. I know, um, you know, that we could... 
there's a symposium in Inglewood, but you go all over doing I'm symposiums everywhere. and speeches and sure. whatnot. So if you if you want to um, hire Dr. DeGruy to come and drill down a little deeper on some of these topics or work with you, um, you can go to bethehealing.org. And it's it's a lot, right? It's a lot. But um, we're talking about getting past the trauma uh, and and these, like you said, how far back do we go to the to, to get to the villain? Do we have to go all the way back and we start right here? You know what I mean? Well, you know, again, uh, if someone's hemorrhaging, we got to deal with it immediately. Right? Deal with so you bleeding, have immediate yeah. issues going on. But when we start looking at uh, why they're hemorrhaging. Maybe we have to stop someone who's stabbing them, right? So we got to do we got to we got to do both. That's yeah. my point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's reminding me of you know whenever like now with the reparations conversation or any conversation about black people, it's always why do you guys always bring up slavery? That was a long time ago. Get over it already. <laughs> well, again, uh, I have a book, Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Yeah, you do right, um, which really kind of uh, outlines that. Interestingly enough, I went to, I just did a talk in Saratoga, um, in Saratoga Springs, New York, and an audience of 500 people who were working with community health. And I asked the audience, I said, how many of you are familiar with my work? And it was like a sprinkling of hands, right? Wow. Oh my God, changed my whole presentation, of course, because it is a foundational piece. I have a 10 week graduate level course that I'm currently teaching online, you know, and people, they say, well, you know, I I need to know why. I said, we don't even get, we don't, we don't get to that part till week nine. I said, we don't (laughs) even get the model, you know? So it's, but it's, it's, it's about understanding how the past impacts us presently, right? And so post-traumatic is really kind of to do a drill down with family and understand why and how we do things. I always give this example because people, it <laughs> it's just real and people can relate to it. Um, a behavior that I was able to trace back to slavery through reading slave narratives and, of course, a, a bunch of uh, documents. But there's a, let's just say you're in an environment, there's a white mother, black mother, could be a white father, black father. It's not gender specific. So let's say they both have children. Um, and let's say that these two children, a black child and a white child, they play together, they go to school together. They just great, great companions. They find themselves at a school meeting or a public meeting. White mother sitting next to the black mother and our, their sons are on either side of them. Black mother leans over to the white mother and says, my goodness, I just wanted to mention to you that you know, I noticed your son is really doing well. And the white mother goes, well, thank you so much. He really is. She leans forward. She says he's in the tag program, talented and gifted. I won. He won the science fair last week. His uncle's an astronaut. (laughs) She goes on and on and on, oozing with enthusiasm and excitement, sits back, then realizes as she sits back that the black mother's son is actually excelling her son, literally excelling him. So she leans back and she says to the black mother, wait a minute, your son's. Your son's the one that's really coming along. And the black mother's response, girl, get out of here. You should have seen that boy yesterday. Lord, have mercy. He gets on my nerve. That boy, he just, oh, you think so. Now, that behavior, I often say it's the secrets that make us sick. The secrets. There's a secret here. And every black person listening has either heard this. Some folks do mm-hmm, it, right? Mm-hmm. Where you go, because we know that even though that mother goes, oh, girl, get out. Stop it. That boy, ooh, he works my nerve. She's actually proud while she's saying those words. Everybody black knows that even though they go, oh, he's a knucklehead. 
they're really now for white people they look at that and they go my god they're so negative those black people <laughs> no, wonder, <laughs> no wonder but the secret is but why for me i asked the question why? why why so i looked at slave narratives now take the same scene let's roll it back a couple hundred years you have a black mother and maybe a white mother only the black mother is enslaved and so also are her children so a white slave owner comes through. Maybe she's working in the fields. Doesn't matter. Kids may be playing nearby. White slave owner, male or female, says to this black mother, is that your son? Yeah, that's my son. He sure is doing well. That boy is really doing well. What is she going to say? No, sir, he, he's not. He's stupid. He's, he can't, can't work because I don't want you to sell him. Right. If it's my daughter. I don't want you to breed her. That's called appropriate adaptation when living in a hostile environment. Well, here's the thing. They told us to get over it. They told us, forget about it. So we never, ever undid it because we never even had a conversation about it. Now, let's roll it back to 2023. And you got Timmy and Trey. Trey looks at his mother and says, how come you can't be proud of me? Like he's proud of she's proud of her son. And the whole time she was, because he hasn't learned the secret. And by the time he learns it, he's already been injured. And post, probably perpetuated on his own child. Syndrome. That's what, And that's how it goes on and on. I Nobody mean, questions I, I got to tell you that, that your book did change my parenting style. Because I started analyzing everything and saying, why am I doing that? It's like the story exactly. you told me about two kids in the bank and one, the white kids running <laughs> everywhere. And we're, that kid's bad. And, you know, our kid has to stand right next to us and shut up. And the message we're sending is that kid is free and you're not. And, and what? And, and what I <laughs> want to say about that is nope, we love our children. Right. But you see, we've never been able to take a look at this in a real way. And let me just tell you right now, they're trying to take it. Even the little bit of nothing we have is black history. They're trying to take out. They're trying. They've banned me. They've banned my book. They banned this history. Oh, my God. I'm going to share this at, at the conference, some, some data that just came out about white children learning about this, which the, the whole, oh, it's bothering and it's upsetting them. Totally wrong. That is not what's going on. But again, these, I'm not saying these parents are intentionally hurting their children. They don't realize they are because they're only doing what they have learned, which was learned from the person right. before them. That's okay, we I'm only have a couple of minutes, but I have to ask <laughs> you, what, I mean, what, what is happening with those white children? <laughs> <laughs> if it's wrong that they're not getting their feelings hurt by learning the truth. They are not getting their feelings hurt. My niece, my sister's uh, daughter, who has a master's degree in library science, she goes and sh she teaches in English, right? So she teaches, um, she goes to different programs in Oregon. So she goes to this or program and she asks, she shows films. She talked about Phyllis Wheatley and the guy that was the, uh, the uh, abolitionist. And she's talking about it because she, she has the kids reading, but she also has a set of questions. And one of the questions she asked is why do you think um, it was that Thomas Jefferson said that black people weren't smart or creative? And she just asked, these are middle school children, white children that said, uh, because people who have privilege and power often objectify other people. Because if people started thinking, this is question, another question, if people started thinking of, of people as people, then they wouldn't want to enslave them, and he'd lose a lot of money <laughs> because he's jealous. 
I mean, because he's racist. I mean, these kids were real clear. There was no confusion like, oh, my God, why am I, you know, horrified? Am I like him? Right. Yeah, Yeah, none of that happened. These kids were clear, and that's what they don't want. They don't want that for their kids to go. And you know what? Not only was he racist, we're not going to let this continue. That's the next. Right. That's all those kids (laughs) that were, were marching in 2020. There you go. Yeah. Well, Dr. Joy DeGruy, it's always great, great, great to talk to you. And I, I, I'm serious. I got to sign up for that seminar online. I need to get <laughs> smarter. I got to learn. And uh, certainly thank you for all of the great and amazing work you're doing. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the unapologetically progressive sign, and I'm feeling better already. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you coming in. It's a pleasure to meet you as well, Iris. Uh, We are going to keep talking because that's what we do around here. We have a civil rights photographer up next on KBLA Talk 1580.